Hello and welcome to Reagan Communications Podcast, the Communication Spotlight, a podcast with content for both internal and external communicators. I'm Justin Teach, Reagan's Director of Virtual Events and your Communications Spotlight host. On today's episode, we look at a discussion from our recent brand storytelling and content marketing conference at Disneyland. Today's focus is about punching up your social media content with video and visuals. A picture can quickly say a thousand words, and GIFs and videos can relay even more messages in a short time. Visuals are necessary additions to outstanding storytelling efforts, especially when you're competing for attention with other social media users and content creators. It's noisy out there, folks, and in this interactive panel, you'll have the opportunity to hear digital content experts provide insights on how you can get a jump on relaying your narratives with images and videos instead of walls of text. This amazing session features Lauren Thomas, Senior Manager of Communications and Social Media of Intuit, Michael Delgado, the Director of Social Media at Experian, Madison Kozak Hantho, the Social Media Marketing Manager of Vancouver Clinic, Michael Ramirez, the Editorial Content Director of Disneyland, and Bob Hitchcock, the Edit Editorial Content Director at Disney Parks. If you like this session and want to hear more content like it, please visit reagantraining.com for membership. For one low price, you get access to over 600 hours of content featuring the best presentations from our live conferences to virtual events. If you are interested in membership, please visit reagantraining.com virtual and save $300. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to all the amazing people on Twitter. Scott, doing a phen phen phenomenal job. Uh, v, Stacy, Tracy, it's absolutely amazing. If you're on Twitter, check out the Reagan content hashtag. Like, all the takeaways are right there. All these uh, brilliant uh, comments and posts. So thank you all for who are tweeting outside these four walls of our uh, event today. So um, a lot of the sessions today have been talking about brand journalism, storytelling, how do we connect with our target audiences, how do we use empathy, and some of the best examples have been through video. We've all seen some really cool commercials and video spots um, that help show how brands are connecting with their audiences. So today we're actually going to be talking to a whole panel of experts who are developing visual and video content uh, to engage their target audiences. So I want to introduce each of them. Um, to my left, we have Bob Hitchcock. Bob has spent his entire career around video content with more than 20 years in television news and nine years at Disney. He is currently an editorial content director with Disney Parks, experiences and products, and leads a team of producers creating video content for the Disney Parks blog, social channels, and media distribution. And then we have Michael Ramirez. Michael is the editorial content director at the Disneyland Resort, overseeing Disneyland content strategy for the Disney Parks blog. We have Lauren Thomas. Uh, Lauren is, uh, delivers social media strategies for billion-dollar brands. She's currently a senior manager of communications and social media at Intuit uh, TurboTax. And we also have Maddie, who leads Vancouver's clinic's uh, marketing team and has responsibility for leading brand awareness campaigns focused on brand storytelling, especially using Facebook video ads. So awesome to have this amazing panel here with us. I thought we'd give it a start. Um, Bob, if you could kind of just share some of the trends you're seeing with video content as it relates to what we do in PR and social media. Yeah, I, um, being the senior member up here, I guess, all those years. Uh, um, and by the way, usually I start my presentation with dad jokes, but I've been instructed not to, so, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. 
That's Unless a there's a big round me. of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Why did Mickey Mouse get hit with a snowball? Because Donald ducked. <laughs> All right, my team's, my team's giving me the hook. All right, um, so, you know, my observations, uh, I guess, and what's going on in this world, um, you know, I, I am a content creator, lead a team of content creators. Um, I, I look to, yes, I'm a part of strategy and setting, setting goals, and, uh, but I really take our, our, our nods from teams that create the overall strategies and, and then execute them. But I, I think what I've been seeing in the last five to six years is what I call the big gray abyss. And, and, and several of you in large organizations may see this and feel this, but it used to be a really black and white world, right? You had a commercial type production unit or, or agency handling all your slick commercial content, photo and video. And then you had PR, PA, internal comms kind of working on that authentic editorial style content, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, social media comes in, blows up, and now you've got editorial teams trying to create slicker content, you got the commercial people trying to do editorial style content, and it's just created this, this, this collision of, of several work groups. And, and I was inspired today to, to hear the, the talk about Hilton, about the silo busting, and, and, and what I call the territorialism busting, because in the end, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to territorialism. Nobody wants to give up their ground, but, but I think Hilton is, is on the right path and is doing the right things to, to, to conquer that and get one voice, and so a, a lot of applause to them. But but I, I, I'm not sure how many people work in organizations like that, but it's just kind of what I'm seeing, the, the, the big collision of multi-teams and, and the, the, the blow up of social media. Um, one of the big questions we're getting on the app right now is around those social media campaigns that we've all worked on, that you've had huge success with, those case studies that you're really proud of. And um, Lauren, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, what has been, you've worked on some amazing campaigns with John Cena, things that have gone viral. Um, live content, polished content. Can you kind of share maybe some, some favorite campaigns you've worked on and some key takeaways for everyone here? Sure, I'll share a couple. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of work that I'm really proud of. Um, a couple of years ago when I was at AT&T, I was the social media lead for their Cricket Wireless brand. And in that role, I spearheaded a 24-hour live stream that set a Guinness World Record for the longest non-TV commercial. And for that project, we literally programmed 24 hours of live content down to 15 minute increments and brought in talent and content that really appealed to the different interests of our audience. Uh, and also found ways to really intersect that with our brand. And that was a really exciting project. Um, we also, as you alluded to at that time, had a sponsorship with WWE. And we thought, how can we leverage this really amazing sponsorship asset? Because WWE has such a really engaged community of really passionate fans. And we brought on one of our agency partners and decided to take a meme um, that was a really popular meme online of WWE superstar John Cena popping out of things on the internet. <laughs> you may have seen it. And we made that meme and brought it into real life by having people come into a store to audition for like a secret John Cena project. And it literally had John Cena in person pop out from behind the wall and surprise them. <laughs> and um, this video, we created two different versions of it. And version one um, really went viral. I think the content got over 50 million cross-channel views. It was on YouTube's top 10 viewed ads list two months in a row in the US and once in Canada. And then the next year, we did it again, flipped it around. So we had our, our fan surprise John Cena, and it was really emotional. So 
finding a way to really leverage our internal assets to really create content that really connected and engaged people in a really compelling way. And that also really helped to drive our share of mine and consideration for the brand. And then most recently in my time at TurboTax, we do TV spots during a sports game. You might have heard of it, the Super Bowl. Anyone <laughs> familiar? So this year, our Super Bowl spot featured a, a new character called RoboChild, which is like a robot child that really has these ambitious dreams of growing up to be a CPA. And we took this character from the TV spots and leveraged new content with him um, that allowed us to really react to the game in real time. So we had him answering fan questions and responding to touchdowns and moments in the game, and did a Twitter takeover with this character and released the content in real time during the big game after our um, pre-spot teaser aired and around the big game time spot. And that really helped us to drive a lot of engagement in our Super Bowl activation on social year over year. So those are some of my favorite video campaigns I've done. That, that's outstanding. When I was first chatting with you on the phone last week and you mentioned a 24-hour live stream, I was like blown away. And um, for those of us that are you know, wanting to do live streaming video, but we've never done it before. Like doing 24 hours sounds like an insane amount of time. I can't even imagine the planning involved. But what tips would you have for those of us who want to do some live video for our brand, never done it before, some things that we should consider before we go live? I think a couple of things. I always say, you know, social media is not the field of dreams. It's not like if you build it, they will come. And the same thing applies to live streams. So a couple things to consider. One is think through how are you promoting the event before you go live to drive viewers? The second is, you know, live social isn't the same as a live TV broadcast. The benefit of it is you can interact with your audience in real time. So think through what are things you can do during the stream to drive engagement. So leveraging other channels like Twitter to drive people back to the stream, for example, and then thinking through what's the experience for your live viewers? Can you do surprise and delight? Can you do trivia? Can you ask some questions to encourage them to engage with you through social during the stream? And then understand that for live social, a lot of the views still come after the event. So think through how can you continue to drive views and engagement with the content after it's live. Um, I think one thing that's really important is a lot of people think just turn a camera on and go live, but it's really important to curate an exclusive experience for your live audience so they've got a real reason to tune in and engage with you. A solid device, especially for all the people that are even watching the video after. Sometimes we so focus on the live event that we forget about all that amazing content that for all the viewers are gonna see it afterwards. So it's great, great advice. Maddie, um, can you talk a little bit about um, channels? Because for those of us who are gonna be doing video for our brands, sometimes it's like, well, should it be Instagram stories? Should we be doing more horizontal video for YouTube? Should we be thinking vertical video, live video? Can you talk about your brand, um, some key wins you've had for your uh, video social strategy, and, um, and also how you've chosen what channels to target? Sure, so um, I work in healthcare, and so I'm actually really curious, how many people here work in healthcare or finance or an organization that's really dictated by a lot of legal? Okay, all right, that's what I thought. So um, our, yeah, our, our videos are um, really surrounded by a lot of uh, legal requirements, specifically for us HIPAA laws. So everything we do requires a lot of footwork to get releases signed and all, you know, all this work that has to happen beforehand before we can even um, you know, bring in a video team and shoot anything. So 
for us, um, one main campaign we do right now, we call it our Meet Campaign. And essentially what we do is a bunch of different 30-second spots where we are introducing our doctors to our um, audience on social media, um, to our uh, current or maybe potential patients. And the whole idea behind it is to really humanize the doctor. We introduce them by their first name. We're gonna do, um, you know, meet Calvin instead of meet Dr. So-and-so. And then we focus on their identity outside of work. So Calvin is a, um, an avid cyclist or he is um, a pie baker or something like that. And then at the end we introduce them as, and he's actually also a pediatrician working in your community. So all of our videos are very short. They're centered around the doctor. We usually use real uh, footage of a doctor and a patient for B-roll. So that you know involves getting patient sign off, them agreeing to do this. And then once the video is produced and we have all these 30 second spots, we run them primarily as Facebook ads. Um, we did something that we talked about beforehand was that we used to house all of our videos on YouTube. And we, had, we did that for probably about a year and a half, but we actually recently made the decision to take down our YouTube channel um, in recognizing that in, in the healthcare industry, not all channels are best suited for our content. What we were finding was we could not control um, those suggestions in the sidebars and the autoplays um, you know, after you watch a video. So um, you know, specifically we had issues with any video around an OBGYN or midwife talking about birth experience and things like that. Like the videos that would be recommended after were um, quite interesting and um, <laughs> It, you know, we couldn't really control how our, how our brand was coming across on that channel. So that we actually chose to take it down. And um, we really have to stick to channels we can have full control over. So um, I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's important to recognize not every channel works for every industry. Um, also, we, you know, we can't really do live video because we can't control uh, you know, what people are gonna say or who's gonna walk through the video that, you know, in the background that you should have had a release for them and you really didn't. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a lawsuit waiting to happen for us. So that's something that we can't do either. So um, I think one of the, the biggest takeaways is realizing what, you know, what you wanna put your, your resources toward for channels and where you're really gonna drive the most engagement and not do a shotgun effect and just put things everywhere because you do, you do want to have a certain amount of control around that. Maddie, can you talk a little bit about the creative process when you were coming up with this idea to do uh, these very human interest stories around the doctors um, getting buy-in from leadership? Yeah, so um, just the idea of doing a campaign where we are introducing a doctor by their first name, that alone was just like not okay um, and it took a lot of time to get buy-in so you know what we what we decided to do was we uh, within our marketing team we chose you know we we nailed down criteria of um, doctors we wanted to feature I should mention our our clinic has over 300 doctors um, this year we'll probably feature about 50 of them um, through video and so um, you know, we did the work internally first. We nailed down our criteria for doctors. We got leadership to um, 
you know, sign off on these doctors and make sure that they, yes, we want, these are the ones we want um, out there representing our brand. Um, so our administration, it was okay to get sign off. They were, you know, they were all gung-ho about us doing advertising. It was a lot harder to get sign off from the physicians themselves. Um, most of them are amazing on video. Um, most of them like to have full control over everything going on, so they didn't really like that the editing was happening in someone else's hands. Um, they worked really, really hard for their credentials, and they weren't necessarily a, a fan of being introduced um, professionally outside of their credentials. That was kind of a very new thing. But, you know, we found that the the number one healthcare decision maker are, um, are women with families or you know, moms are booking all the appointments for the kids. Wives are usually booking the appointments for their husband. Like that's our, our audience is women with families. And um, they want to be able to connect with the doctor. They don't want like a sterile, you know, uh, someone in a white coat and a picture online that they really can't identify with. They're trying to pick someone that's gonna have a good relationship with their family. And to do that, we really had to figure out a way to humanize these doctors. So we kind of introduced them the video as, you know, who they are, what they like to do outside of work, and then at the end, oh yeah, by the way, you know, this is also a pediatrician <coughs> and he can see your family. So that was kind of the the idea behind our whole campaign. I will say we probably got, you know, we probably had to get a dozen, 15 videos in um, to really get any uh, buy-in from physicians that they saw a trend that this is actually working. Look at the engagement online. Look at the amazing comments you're getting. Um, it took it took a lot to actually get um, some credibility behind the campaign. So I guess that was another takeaway: is if you if you know your idea is good, you have to you know go through the testing and try it, prove that it's good. You might not always get buy-in upfront. Um, Solid advice. Um, Bobby, you, you said you wanted to share uh, something about getting leadership buy-in. Yeah, and, and I'll just tag into that a little bit. And I think what you're, you know, you've got to find the heart in any story, right? Any storytelling that you're doing, you've got to find an emotional connection to move the audience. And I think we all know that because that is powerful stuff. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, in our world, you've got to demonstrate. You've really just got to go do the story or, or you're doing a story and do a secondary story and you've got to prove to leadership. Uh, a quick case study in this, and it, it's one I like to laugh about. Um, uh, much like uh, patients, uh, we deal with uh, animals at Animal Kingdom. And, and some of the uh, things that you got to, the hoops you got to jump through for that and very protective about what we say and what we do. Um, was We had a baby giraffe born and we were sent out to do a story and I was doing it. And I was given clear directions on, you know, this is what we're going to ask. You know, typical executive control of a story. And um, I will be honest to this group. I, I disagreed with it. It had no heart, no emotion. I knew exactly what was going to happen. We fill our executives with key messages. <laughs> the interviews don't come off as conversations. They're basically reading through their eyelids. And so we get out onto what we call our savanna to do the story. And, and I'm riding in the vehicle, and there's a, a keeper, an animal keeper with me. And I'm just like, oh, so what do you do? And she goes, oh, I'm an animal keeper. And, and she starts telling the story about the mom giraffe and starts crying. And, and apparently she had worked, one of the first animals she ever saw when she came to Disney was the mom who gave birth. And so just like the mother, she has been waiting five years for this giraffe to have a baby. All right. So, you know, click, this is a story. Yeah. All right. So to back what I'm, my lesson here is 
You know, we did the story that our executive and leadership wanted, the animal programs people wanted. We did that story, but you know what? I did the other story while I was out there. I did the interview with her, very emotional, very heart-tugging. Um, the first story posted with our animal programs people, sent the story over to them, the, you know, then it was like they wanted to post it. it. It performed, as you can imagine, performed better than the other story because there was heartfelt emotion in it. And, and you know you have success when they call you up a week later or another baby's born and said, hey, remember that story we wanted to do that we did with a giraffe? <laughs> that, that's the nod of success that you get. And, uh, but, but emotion and, and, again, with executives, sometimes you just gotta, you've got to prove it. You've got to go out and just prove it. And hopefully you've got leadership that will give you the bandwidth to do that. Yeah, one thing I always like to do is take baby steps to big ideas. And the more you can take small steps and bring your leadership along with you and test things and prove things, the more you can get their buy-in and trust to do new things and bigger things. And I also think to your point of emotion, I think when it comes to video content, the more you can find a way to tap into an emotional reaction you know, in the video or content that educates the audience or that evokes some surprise, the more engagement and interaction you'll drive. Good. Michael, can you share um, one of your favorite video campaigns you've worked on and some takeaways for everyone here? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I hope everyone has made it out to the parks while you have been here. Um, and especially, has everyone visited Star Wars Galaxy's Edge? Hopefully, yes. <laughs> So I had the privilege of being part of the grand opening team, obviously being here um, at the Disneyland Resort. So the content plan that we had surrounding the opening was pretty amazing. And I think Tom Smith spoke yesterday, kind of just the broader Disney Parks blog plan. But specifically here at Disneyland, we had a lot of fun with our video content. And we had all kinds. We had, there was me on the Millennium Falcon with a, you know, an Imagineer, which was, was fun, but also that was actually our first kind of look at the attraction. Um, and what better way to do it with, you know, one of the people that actually brought it to life. Um, you know, we did beautiful, you know, walkthroughs of the entire land. Um, but I think what was really successful was we did a series of guestimonials. Um, and it, that was everything, and talk about emotion and, you know, genuine emotion, it's hearing from the fans, the people that are coming through for the first time, experiencing all their favorite stories. Um, so we had a lot of fun, and one in particular was uh, blue milk, so I don't know if anyone tried blue milk or green milk, um, but we had a lot of fun just asking guests, like, taste tests, like, what did you think of Blue Milk? And the reactions were, were priceless. So, and we actually got um, Mark Hamill during the grand oh, opening wow. ceremony. It was a very kind of, he was getting ready for an interview and we, we, the camera was rolling and he drank Blue Milk on camera. And, you know, I think he said, this is better than the movie. So we added that in the, in the clip as well. So I think, uh, yeah, I think the guestimonials were super fun and especially for you know, a brand like uh, Star Wars, just the reactions were, were priceless. That's really good. Okay, so we're getting lots of votes on this question. 22 votes so far. Um, how can you take boring content and turning, turn it into something compelling visually? What questions do you start with? And so if you ever worked on something where you're told you know, to work on a piece of content that you're like, oh, this is not that interesting of a story, and you have to like make it interesting, make it compelling, um, any examples you can think of? Well, I work on a really fun brand that's taxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So I think that's a challenge that I, I manage. And I think one thing to think through is that there is some level of interest in a lot of content, right? For taxes, everyone has to do them. You know, our brand has an incredible amount of resources. We provide educational content around taxes. So while it may not be as inherently fun and sexy as Star Wars, um, I think the information we share is incredibly valuable. So one example, a couple of years ago, we launched a new product called TurboTax Live, which lets you connect with a live CPA on demand through TurboTax. So while we used to be do-it-yourself only, now we're shifting more and more to giving people more ways to get their taxes done. And last season, we really wanted to really humanize this product and bring our pros to life. So we created a video content series featuring our CPAs answering tax questions from things like, you know, um, who can I claim as a dependent to what do I do with my gambling wins or losses? And if you have dependents or tend to gamble, no judgment, um, <laughs> this kind of content is compelling to you. So think through what's interesting to your audience, what does your company or your employees have expertise in, and how can you frame that up in a way that's going to be engaging to the audience that you're trying to speak to? So my quick answer for me is I just assign it to somebody else. <laughs> so I know I, I think it comes down to um, you know is, is helping your, strat your strategy team and, and leadership understand that content sometimes it doesn't work as video sometimes it needs to be a still a graphic image um, but I think you know when you're when you're forced with things I think there's just some things you can do with music and, and some creative aspects that if you've got the time to dive into it, and we always don't get the time. I always like to think if I can be 85 to 90% successful with the content that I'm producing for other people because I'm a client-based service, then I'm pretty happy with that. I'm, it's never going to be 100%. You're always going to have projects that are going to be dictated to you that are just going to seem flat to you. And you've got to accept that and then look for the victory in the next one. Good. Lauren, um, I love your example of the TurboTax Live series, and I'm curious about, you know, we all want to be data-driven. We all want to create content that's going to be useful to our audiences. I'm kind of curious about, as you were developing the strategy around the content type of questions that the accountants would be answering, where do these questions come from? So I think we have a lot of inputs. You know, we have, we know commonly asked questions within the product. We have a blog, and we can see which articles get the top blog traffic and questions. Um, you know, we have answer exchange, Q and A's. So we, we just have a lot of different sources for input or even FAQs from family and friends that we know are common. So we're always looking for, you know, what from our data are we seeing people have a lot of questions around. Um, when we think about, you know, YouTube being the second largest search engine in the world and being such a great place to have content, um, are you also looking at kind of YouTube searches and what people are searching for there? We have a really incredible SEO team, so they do tend to look at searches, and we use that information to inform some of our YouTube content, as well as things we'll put on tax articles on the website or content we address in our blog. Uh, and this is a question for everybody here. Um, I think one of the, the struggles is figuring out also, like, how long should my video be? You know, you know it, it, how, do you, how do you answer that, Bob? Yeah, so, you know, the people that come around and say long format is dead, wrong. A story deserves what a story deserves, okay? And, and yes, there's some limitations with Instagram. It's got to be under a minute and so forth. But, but I am a big believer that, that if you've got a great story, emotionally based, 
and, and, and you can continue to carry that audience through the story, it deserves what it deserves. So, you know, on the YouTube channels, uh, on the blog, uh, we use YouTube to distribute on our blog, you know, people are looking for you. They're seeking you, right? So if they're coming to you, they're going to invest that time if you can hold their attention. So good storytelling will live. Yes, the, the other platforms, the Instagram and Facebook, you know, they're very picky. It's very short, you know, so you produce for that content. And we, we focus a lot on diversifying our content uh, to that platforms. Um, but, but, you know, the people that keep coming around, long formats that it is not dead. So the answer is stories deserve what the stories deserve. I like that. Um, and, and Lauren, is so funny because you did 24 hours of storytelling <laughs> in one time. Was there any, any other lessons you learned from doing that live stream that you took away for the next one? I think I took away the lesson that I will never do another 24-hour. <laughs> I think I'm still getting recovering from that one. But I think one thing, you know, to your point that stories deserve what they deserve, I think one thing was we really curated really every minute of that, pod, of that live stream down to like 15-minute increments. But thinking through, given that people have different attention spans, how can you leverage one piece of content? And I say, you know, shoot once and use it thrice. So can you pull gifts from it? Can you pull shorter videos from it? How can you leverage that to create more content you can use in other channels over time? So if you do have a long story, maybe it's you know also creating a blog post around it or cutting it down to a two-minute video for Twitter and then a one-minute version for Instagram. So finding ways to leverage what you're already doing and investing in to create more content for your channels. Yeah, and when, and when you structure those, I mean, I, I think it goes back to Tom Smith's presentation yesterday, that hub-based model, right? And, and to me, in, in the old days, it was the 6 o'clock news, right? 6 o'clock news was your news of record. So any other newscast or any other storytelling would point back, come back to us at 6 o'clock news. And it's the same thing. So, so diversifying your content, producing it for the audience on Instagram or Facebook, you know, uh, how you edit it, how you prepare it, um, but then giving them the chance to go back to your, your mainframe, your, your, your hub, for us, the blog, for more information. But then when you do that, you got to make sure that your blog story does deliver more information because you don't want to lead them on to, 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 and not deliver on that. Maddie, can you talk a little bit about um, the struggles of working in a highly regulated industry and also like how you are kind of overcoming those struggles to develop great video content? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think that uh, meat campaign that I talked about is something that we're doing that I haven't seen a lot of other um, healthcare or other regulated um, industries go into. Um, you know, one of, one of the biggest struggles that we have is um, legally we have, uh, you know, attorneys are writing our healthcare releases and such. And something that we're finding is that our releases are really only good for about three years. And um, part of that's because, you know, pa patients age, kids grow up, um, the, the content's not uh, evergreen anymore. And so we find we have this um, cycle of really needing to track all of our content and it... Um, having to redo what we already have. So that's one of the challenges is just we have a, a time span. We can't just bank up all of this video that, that lives on forever. Um, we're constantly having to turn it over. We're constantly having to reshoot. We can't just sort of like ride on what we've got. It's a, it's a continuous um, uh, reshooting, not to mention the laws are continuously becoming a lot more tighter. And, um, you know, as, as, uh, 
people are more concerned about their privacy and as people are finding loopholes in the laws and things like that, HIPAA laws are only getting more and more um, strict. So, um, you know, I think one of the reasons we chose to do the campaign the way we did is we're trying to build a source of trust with the healthcare provider and with the doctor and like I can trust this person with my healthcare information um, so that you, you already have a sense of knowing that person before you walk through the door for your first appointment. Um, and I think that goes, it goes a long way um, even with how regulated the industry is and how many hoops we have to jump through to produce these videos, I think that at the end of it, um, for our brand, it's worth it because it really is building our brand trust. And that's, you know, that's the end goal. So, um, you know, we just, we just deal with all the hoops we jump through and scheduling and, um, you know, getting buy-in and everyone biting their teeth, hoping that this is legal. And, um, you know, cause at the end of the day, our, our job is to create a strong brand. So, um, you know, we, I think we, we deal with all the legal requirements because it's worth it. Michael, can you talk a little bit about your um, storytelling and how you come up with different ideas? Because we were chatting on the phone and you were talking about, I mean, the Disney community, like which includes myself, we're just huge fans. And sometimes the fans come up with news before Disney comes out with the news because somehow they hear the rumors. It moves so fast. How do you come up with your story ideas? I, I think we... That's what I love about my job is we're blessed with, you know, such an amazing IP that we work with every day. And it's, you know, it's definitely collaborative. We have, um, at least at Disneyland, we have an editorial meeting um, every Friday. And it's the, the awesome thing about our team is we have um, people with producing backgrounds. We have people that came from news, um, both print and digital and broadcast. Myself, which is kind of a more traditional PR agency route. But we have a, a really nice mix of kind of minds at the table. So we really come together and you know figure out what are our priorities, what are what are we what are we pushing right now, and then looking ahead, you know, two weeks, a month, et cetera, because obviously we're not just writing, but we're producing video, we're scheduling photo shoots. So it's it's a very tedious process, but it's super collaborative and super creative. So so um, I love that you're thinking through all those different aspects. So when you're when you're out there shooting a video, um, you're taking photos. You're what other types of content are you developing when you're out there? Um, photo, video, uh, and obviously just thinking of all formats. So as Bob mentioned, you know we're looking at oftentimes a longer format video, but then also thinking you know what would play really well on social. Thinking about you know as our team of producers are actually shooting content you know, making sure that it will fit in the right frame for, you know, whether we're doing square or wide. Um, you know, getting guestimonials when we can. So when we're, we really try to maximize our time when we're out in the parks, um, you know, whether it's debuting a new parade, we'll not just shoot the, the parade, but we'll get the guest reactions, we'll get different angles, different shots. There's a very long parade route. So if we have the bandwidth and the resources, we'll kind of shoot it from all different sides. One of the things that I love that you shared with me is that you're also doing like kind of behind the scenes content. And I think that's actually super valuable for people, that, especially for the fans who want to know like what's going on, how are things being built, how are things being made. Um, can you talk a little bit about the behind the scenes content you guys create? Yeah, I think, you know, so just at the Disneyland Resort, we have 32,000 cast members. So it's, I think we're the largest employer in Orange County. So you can imagine just the, 
you know, there's just so many talented people here and they are so many different stories and jobs, like jobs you've never even heard of, but everyone really has a unique role. So that's really fun to, you know, be able to talk to the people behind the magic. And it's not all, you know, Imagineers. It's, you know, it's costume designers. It's, um, you know, technicians that are, you know, working in various roles throughout the park. So, and that's, I think, what our fans love, is they love seeing our cast. They love seeing, um, you know, that, and I think that what, that's what gives them kind of that behind the scenes aspect is, you know, getting into their interesting job. But, but it's not just telling their job, but it's also telling, um, you know, we like to tie it to a marketing priority, obviously. So if it's a parade technician, so it's yes, it's telling their story of their personal journey, but then it's also touting, you know, the new parade that we have. So Bob signaling me. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, I, I thought you were done. You took a pause. Sorry. No, I, I was just to, to spin off what Michael said, especially in our world, and, and for those of you who are up against fan sites or, or, or people writing about your organization, BTS is your behind the scenes is your competitive advantage. Right, because you know, in our world, people may speculate; they may know something's coming. There's a fireworks show coming, uh, but what what they don't have access to is our Imagineers, our teams out in the park in the middle of the night. So that BTS content becomes very rich, and only things that we can deliver. Um, a quick case study that that it really helped us. Uh, I'll go really quickly on this one. Um, we did uh, about a year and a half ago. We came out with a new fireworks show at Walt Disney World, Happily Ever After. Anybody seen Happily Ever After? Okay amazing new nighttime spectacular. It replaced a fireworks show, don't mess with people's fireworks shows. It, 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 it was replacing a 12 year running wishes fireworks show. And, and so you can imagine when we started to talk about the show going away, the, the public, you know, was just, the, the, the comments on social was just starting to get out of control. So we, uh, we used live, uh, we're big in live right now. So we did a live stream uh, about a month out from the end of the show to announce the show was going away, used it as key messaging for last chance messaging, right? You've got 30 more days to come out and see the show. We then embedded a behind the scenes, we had the teams working overnight with the projections and like new projections that people had never seen before. And it really helped us control the conversation. So the people that were sad that this was going away were able to celebrate it one more night live wherever they were in the world. And they were able then to see, that, you know what, Disney is building something really cool. And so the BTS video helped us with that. Then over the subsequent three to four weeks on the lead up, we did a series of stories on the visuals, the music. We, went, we, you know, we had the luxury of sending a crew to London to get the music being recorded. And we were able to build these BTS stories that controlled the conversation, took what was probably going to be a huge negative impact, curved the conversation to then live stream the debut of Happily Ever After, mm -hmm. and we had 3.2 million views in 48 hours. And, and wow. so it really, it was, it was part of the communication strategy and is one of the case studies that we use with BTS and that type of content. We're doing it right now for another show that's coming out October 1st. We're launching a BTS story on that. Well, Michael and Bob, I had a question. Oh, go ahead, Michael. Sorry, no, I just wanted to add, I, I, I do think, you know, behind the scenes, it is definitely a part of our strategy. I think whenever we are getting ready to launch something, we always bake in, um, you know, what kind of behind the scenes aspect can we give our fans? Usually, sometimes before it launches, but then also it's great sustaining content too. So once, you know, a new fireworks show launches or a new attraction opens, then we can follow up, you know, a couple weeks later with some really incredible behind the scenes. It doesn't always have to be video too. It can be photography as well. And I think we have access to, you know, an empty park, which, you know, is amazing and makes for, you know, beautiful photography. Um, so Maddie was talking about how difficult it is in her industry 
to do any sort of live video because of compliance or rules and regulations they have to follow. And I'm sure there's lots of people here in this room who are like, yeah, we would love to do live video, but just getting a tweet approved <laughs> takes hours. So how do you go, go about doing live streams, getting approval, and, um, and also what is the preparation for that live stream look like? People are asking on the, on the thread here around, are you scripting it? Is there, are you doing storyboards? Um, so our live streams are very scripted. Um, in fact, I, we were talking about it before we got here. You know, live streams to me were kind of, in the beginning, kind of down and dirty, right? People just standing in front of a camera. And, and, and for obvious reasons and for messaging and for legalities, we don't do that. We have a very prepared. It actually looks like a fully produced show when you watch our live streams, um, which I think kind of maybe has gone over the line of what a live stream is supposed to be. Um, but, we, but we plan it out a couple weeks in advance in terms of logistics. We prepare a script probably a week in advance that goes through all sorts of vetting through leadership to make sure the key messaging is in place. Uh, we have to secure music rights. Uh, one of the biggest surprises when people come in is, you know, that Happily Ever After, I mentioned, is filled with Disney music, right? And you would think we own that. We do not. And I have to go out and I have to pay for rights for every single song. So I have to invest another five to $10,000, depending on the show, just to get music rights for 30 days because as somebody we mentioned, you know, after the live, the replay, if you do live, the replay is so valuable. You know, more than 50% of your views will come in the first 24 to 48 hours of a live stream. Uh, but all those legalities, the legalities of, um, you know, the releases for people to appear on camera. We work very closely with our legal teams on that because anybody that you can allegedly make out and see that they're need to be released. Um, obviously, when you're showing a parade, people fall behind. And I think we've got our legal team in a comfortable place to allow that just to, just to happen. Um, and then um, there was one more thing I was going to mention. Oh, we have a kill switch, right? We're kind of on a five to 10 second delay and uh, we're always obligated to have some type of kill system so that if something were to happen, we could, we could drop off the air in a moment. So that's, that's how we. What is it um, like uh, hosting live streams like that? Michael, I don't know if you can talk about just like, you know, producing content live and because all these mistakes can happen right so bob is my producer for the live streams <laughs> and i'm the uh one of the uh hosts uh yeah no it's so there was i was just thinking mickey's mix magic which is a fantastic show we had uh, earlier this year it's a projection show that is enhanced some nights with fireworks which means it, there's not fireworks every night so we had um the live stream, I think it was it was like a Thursday night when fireworks were scheduled, but it was very windy, so fireworks were canceled. Um, however, luckily the show is amazing without fireworks. It, the projections that are you know on Main Street and um, on the facade of It's a Small World are really really beautiful. So, but that was you know we just had to we we were live and you know we didn't. I don't think we they told us like literally five seconds okay. before like fireworks aren't happening. <laughs> but you know it was part of our key messages and luckily I think being a a communicator, we were able to uh, react pretty quickly. And again, I think the show and the live stream was still a huge success because the product was still great. It just didn't have fireworks. Yeah, the, the anatomy of our live streams are, I, I have a host, a designated host on the East Coast and a designated host here. And then Michael and then one of his counterparts at Walt Disney World, they kind of come in as a co-host and, and really encourage social media interchange, right? It's, it's, it's a push and pull type of broadcast where uh, Michael will come on and encourage people to respond to us on Twitter. We do giveaways. Uh, we do uh, wallpapers to download. We're really trying to give a gift 
back to the audience. Um, and then we encourage them to communicate during the show on Twitter, and we get a great response, especially when people want to talk about where they're watching from. And, and what's great for us on the, on the metrics and the data is we're able to say, hey, we reached 24 countries today uh, on a live stream, and, you know, and, and we just did one a couple weeks ago. We had 500,000 views within 48 hours. Um, but it's really a, a, a way to communicate back and forth with that, with that audience. And, and Michael does a great job uh, with this. And, um, and it's just the, the formula is Michael, and then we do some type of live interview, behind the scenes type information with somebody from entertainment or whatever relates to that to kind of take back the cover a little bit. And uh, I, it's a cheat sheet for me because our shows have to be timed out. I do a five minute pre-show, and, and when the fireworks go, the fireworks go. And so it's gotta be timed out like a newscast. And so I kind of cheated a little bit with a live interview because I can say wrap it or extend it. Um, and we've had cases of things kind of didn't work out the way they were supposed to. We had a thunderstorm on one of our live streams. It went an hour and a half late. And so we're prepared with graphics, delay, and so forth. And I'll have my host come on and say, hey, stick with us. Um, but it, it, I had to laugh because at one point, like a half hour into it, we still had like 150,000 people watching a standby sleep, which I thought was just kind of crazy. But. Wow. I think one thing if you're new to live streaming in an, in, in an industry or company where legal is omnipresent, um, I always like to say, you know, legal's dream isn't actually, their, their job isn't actually to crush your dreams as a marketer, it's, <laughs> it's to minimize risk. So what I try to do is literally sit with my legal team and understand really clearly, what are you really concerned about? What are you worried about happening? And then from that, establish really clear guidelines and guardrails around what you can and can't say. Um, what are the triggers? So if something happens, what do you do to react to it? If there's things that are concerns about people, for example, walking, walking through a live stream, can you host it in a closed set and minimize that risk? So thinking through in advance, what are the big concerns legal has, understanding them really clearly, and then finding ways to minimize those risks and planning that in advance, that can really help to set your legal's mind at ease and then give you the green light to make your magic. And Lauren, what, what advice do you have for, for those of us who don't have big budgets? We don't have a lot of money, but we definitely want to connect with our target audiences, maybe on Instagram stories or going live. Do you have any suggestions for those with, with smaller budgets? I think for all of us, even if we have big budgets or small budgets, but it's always a consideration. So one thing I try to think through is, you know, if, if you've got a really small budget, there's a lot of templates you can use. Is how can you really minimize um, the friction or create an asset one time and leverage it again. So if you're thinking about Instagram stories, are there templates that you can create to make it really easy to create stories over time without incurring a lot of risks in um, you know, agency costs or creative time? And I think, think there's a lot of ways, especially now, to do live streams with equipment that's lower cost. If you're going live or doing a video, I think it's really important to focus on the, the lighting quality. And you can get, if, if it's a small room, even a ring light can be great um, lighting for a video and think about audio because people perceive video to be lower visual quality if the audio is really bad. Um, so focus and invest in dialing in those two things and really just, I think, test your way into it. One thing to add also that we've found is when you're on a tight budget, um, we've definitely made sure that when we are conducting an interview with a doctor, we, um, you know, we, most of what we produce is 30-second uh, spots, but the interview that happens is actually like 30 minutes or 45 minutes of footage, and we ask questions all around um, the topic, and then 
from that one interview and one video shoot, we are able to repurpose and make multiple videos from that and do all sorts of content and then use the, you know, the, the audio of the interview to write an article. And so we really try to hit as many birds with one stone as we can and um, really do the homework ahead of time for what questions you're going to ask. Um, keep in mind everything that you have to make from this time. Um, doctor's time is very valuable, so if you're going to take that, you you know you get as much as possible from that one interview. And same with um, just background footage and B-roll. And um, if you are paying for the videographer's time and to have them on site, you get as much as possible and as much um, dynamic footage as you can to use in multiple different ways. I think it's a really smart strategy because then you get the long form content that you can release and then also all those bite sized pieces that could be really helpful for people. Can you talk about, we were, we were chatting about storytelling and about, you know, you're going out to do these shoots and interviewing these different doctors and sometimes you don't necessarily have the story in mind yet. Can you talk about finding the story while you're producing? Mm -hmm. Sure. So the way we kind of go about our interviews is not very often do we fully know the story before we conduct the interview. We have some, you know, we have some questions that we ask every single person, like, why did you become a doctor? And um, why did you choose, um, like, to be an OBGYN specifically? What about that specialty really just grabbed you? And as you're just sitting there having a conversation with these doctors, the story kind of develops while you're there. So a lot of times we go in with um, you know idea that we're going to feature this person, but we don't really know what it's going to be until the end. And what we do is we use that that video and that one story sort of as an anchor to our our. Um, content for that campaign. So we will anchor it all with this one video, but from that we might use a video still or other images and run um, uh, run print ads or cinema advertising or billboards or something that all kind of points to this one video, like, you know, meet um, Calvin or Dr. So-and-so and drive people back to where this, this video is. Um, but, you know, it's, it's amazing some of the incredible stories that come out of these um, out of these videos and out of these interviews that we had no idea before going in into them and they're you know one of the most engaging videos it's amazing what you get when you just kind of go in and let people talk um, so we we try hard not to um, control the interview process and the video we we do basic storyboarding like everyone else does and you know you kind of know what you have to get out of it but we really go in and let um, what the physician wants to stay drive the video because that's where we get the true authenticity and kind of like we've been talking the past few days I mean the whole point is to add a human element to every story and um, you know the the empathy and the human touch and um, You get that best when you let people be their real selves on camera and you're not trying to script and trying to control it too much you know that it, 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 you know as a content creator, that's an open book for me. I mean, I just when when I, I kind of know where I want to get, and I drive my production crews nuts because they they, they want some direction, and I, and I literally I've shown up before. I don't know. Let's just get going. And you know, there's a there's a a quote that I kind of live by in my content creation. I try to put on my producers, and that is, and I think it was Charles Kroll, and I think if I say it one more time, I get to claim it's mine, <laughs> but, it's, but it's go to a story and hope you never get there, right? So, so you can go into that, but also if, you've also, if you've got a story in mind, 
you know, keep your eyes open and your ears open as you're talking and, 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 and observing because you may just find something different or a better story along the way. So, so for those that go into, you know, with, with tunnel vision, you, you may be missing a lot. So, so please keep that in mind. Go to a story. You hope you never get there. It doesn't mean something tragic has happened. It just means that your eyes are open and your ears are open. Michael, can you speak to, um, as you're deciding on where to put this video content, because there's so many places, right? You got Instagram, Instagram stories, you have Snapchat, now we have TikTok, uh, Twitter video, Facebook video, there's so many places to put it. Um, as you're developing your stories, uh, do you have specific channels in mind? I'm just kind of curious about your strategy. Um, I think so. I, I think, you know, we, we tend to uh, put our videos across channels, to be honest. Um, the, the problem, or not the problem, the challenge with us is we have so much content, we have so much video content, which is amazing, but it's also, we're competing with ourselves sometimes on our, on our social channels. So I think we're just selective on, you know, if it is a longer format piece, maybe it actually lives more on Facebook, and then with Instagram in particular, I think it, it definitely has to be visual, and we try not to have, I know, I don't know how Bob feels about this, but um, I typically don't put any um, speaking, talking heads on Instagram. I, I just keep it, you know, super fun and visual and fast, good music. I, I will, I'll include um, sound if it's compelling, but usually I let music and visuals drive the Instagram story and the Instagram videos that we put out. Are there other ways you're leveraging that video content? I mean, it's all about distribution and partnerships. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, uh, I will not use my reference I used earlier. Um, uh, it, it is, uh, but it, it, it's, it's, your, it's, it's your platforms, but then it's looking around you and, and what partners are out there. You know, we talk about live streams a lot and some of our, some of our digital sized uh, 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 projects, but you know, we've got, obviously it's an internal, but you know, Good Morning America is a great partner with us. And, and we have other Disney digital platforms across the company from a corporate level that, that, we, can, um, that we can rely on. So, you know, distribution is the key, amplification is the word, I guess, that everybody uses. And also, I think we, and again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have a huge employee base, and I know my internal comps team is here as well, so they oftentimes repurpose our content internally. So we have a cast TV that is streamed throughout the resort, so they oftentimes love picking up our video content as well. So it's nice to actually reach our uh, cast. Nice. So we have like five minutes left. Um, Lauren, can, maybe we'll just go down the line. Um, can everyone share an actionable tip uh, for everyone here, for anybody who wants to be using video or visual content on their social media channels. And we'll start with Lauren and we'll go to Maddie and Michael and Bob. I think my one big tip would be to think about the resources that you have internally that can already be good partners to in video creation. So who are the people who work for your company? What are the stories from your customers? You know, what knowledge do you have or resources from an educational standpoint? Or what partnerships that you can have that you can leverage to mine for really good, compelling stories that would translate to videos and visual content? So use what you've got. Yeah, I'm gonna say for a more um, <clears throat> a traditional organizational structure, it's very important for us before we take videos in these campaigns externally to communicate it internally and get internal buy-in. Um, sometimes your employees can be huge brand ambassadors and they love knowing what's going on before it goes externally. So um, I think it, it, 
if you can get internal buy-in first before you get externally and share it, um, that's been huge for us and really helped <clears throat> helped build credibility around a campaign that's a little bit or a lot outside the box for healthcare is to get all the buy-in and support before you go out, even if it will still take time to get um, the support externally. I think for me, I would say um, think about the content that you can only deliver on. So I think we talked a lot about the behind the scenes content, which is so important, but also like for us, like first look photography or, you know, the first time to do this or with, uh, with rides or attractions in particular, like we can actually bring a camera on an attraction that guests can't. So I think always thinking about that and just, you know, our audience in particular, our fans, they love seeing that type of content because oftentimes they can't capture it themselves. So we do it for them. And I would say emotionally based storytelling. Uh, you know, you've got to make whatever content you're creating. You've got, I start. I'm going to finish where I started. You've got to make people care about it. You got to make them laugh. You got to make them cry. They got to feel something. And if you produce content and you watch it yourself and you're not moved, then you. I, I hate to use this word. You failed. You need to go back to the drawing board. So you've got to find. And, and I, I. And I go back to my 85, 90 percent success rate. If, if you can hit that, you're doing well. Uh, I challenge everybody because I've heard everybody will come up and say, well, I can't find emotion in this. I can't find emotion in that. I do a cooking series, but I can't find emotion in that. Well, what if it's a recipe from a grandmother and you tell a little bit of the grandmother's story? You know, you bring that real person in because it's authentic and the audience is going to relate better to authenticity and be moved by emotion. That's great advice. Um, I know there's tons of questions that came up here. We weren't able to get to them, but make sure you see Lauren, Maddie, Michael, Bob during the breaks, during lunch, grab them, ask them your questions. They are awesome people to get to know. Uh, so please reach out to them. Let's all give them a hand. Take them. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Communication Spotlight, a podcast for you, the communicator. If you like this session and want to hear more content like it, please visit reagantraining.com for membership. For one low price, you get access to over 600 hours of content featuring the best presentations from our live conferences to virtual events. If you are interested in membership, please visit reagantraining.com virtual and save $300.